Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of History of the World in 33 Objects. My name is Caleb Kelly, and this is going to be the item of interest today will be the armor of King Henry VIII. What's special about this armor is that it was, as named, the armor for field and tournament of 1540. The special things that I would like to discuss first off will be more of the creation of the object and the different types of specs and the materials in it. And then I will go into more the common misconceptions about the armor of just any plate armor of the medieval period. And then we will discuss the owner of the armor, King Henry VIII, and what was so special about the armor for that time. Now, the armor itself was from, of course, 1540. It was transferred to Greenwich in 1649, where it was being held after King Henry stepped down from his position. The specialty about it was it was most of the armor was closed. It was a plate armor set. A lot of the pieces were held together with leather undergarments, not much uh, chain mail, what you would expect in most common uh, uses of plate armor. It had a low comb. A lot of the famous armors had big fancy parts on their helmets which would decorate the armor those were very uncommon because those were usually held by higher-ups which is kind of interesting for king henry um the pieces there's multiple horizontal slits in the armor for ventilation it actually gets very stuffy in the armor because of its very enclosed build to it. The chin piece opens up uh, to be as if the visor. It's one of the more uncommon versions of armor where they had a movable visor in it. The specialty of it is that it was a horizontal slit instead of vertical. And if I'm correct, the helmet appears to be of originally made to fit on top of the plate of the gorget, but the hollow flange at the bottom edge has been removed. This allows for a more movable head, allowing the person who is wearing it to maneuver more easily. Um, another noticeable thing is that the breastplate itself is very odd for normal different types of armor. It's very slim and narrow, but for this armor, it is, lots of pieces have been broken up to allow it to be maneuvered without actually breaking the integrity of the armor. And there's a specific reason for this, and that has to do with the wearer of King Henry VIII. The armor itself is very special in some terms due to the articulate design of it in general. It has heavy golden uh, outlinings on it that allow it to have this kind of sheen to it. A lot of the main parts of it were a average gray color that you would expect of it, but multiple pieces towards the edges and the different types of engravings on the armor 
were a gold color, and that has to do with the event that it was worn in, which was correct, a field of gold, of cloth and gold. This was a event that happened. It was a royal summit in Ballingham. This was between Ardres of France Guinea, uh, and the Guineas of England. This was where King Henry wore the armor, and he would basically wear it as kind of like it was more of a celebratory and more ceremonial. It wasn't mainly used for combat. Now for the fun part, how it was exactly made and what it was made of. Plate armor evolved from chainmail. Most common armors of the time was chainmail. This was used by most of the infantry soldiers of the time. Chainmail was a bunch of small chains linked together to create a shirt, uh, more of like a hood, or just any part of the body. And what it would allow is it prevented slashing. But what happens is the fact that because there is no real integrity to it, it allow it broke very easily and it could be easily penetrated. So it allowed you to prevent yourself from getting slashed or sliced by weapons, but it did not stump, stop blunt force or penetrating types of things like arrows or spears. Um, coats of plates, for example, were like simple plates, metal plates that were tied onto the armor itself, such as leather or chainmail. And this was more of a what I would say rudimentary version of what would become the more common European knight style armor. It was very rudimentary, nothing special about it, but what made the difference for most of the common 14th century knight armor, the steel plates is what was different. You put the chainmail on and then you would have these these steel lamels is what they would call it, or lamins, and these plates would be etched onto each other to create as if this kind of scale type of deal to it, allowing very flexible movement, and it would help. Steel was very important to the knights at this time because that was what stopped a lot of different things spears and arrows were no longer a danger to people who wore steel plates onto them the only damage that could actually be done would have been blunt force so once these steel plate armored soldiers started showing up on the field it became very difficult it became a war of attrition and conquest because it was tossing so many soldiers at these walking tanks practically that it would basically be impossible unless you did it perfectly and then you it would usually be a one-on-one -on -one night battles that would actually be where an outcome would happen something i would like to make um I would like to importantly tell is the gorget or gorget, G-O-R-G-E-T is how you'd spell it. This is one of the things that made the armor that we are discussing today much different than the armor that most common knights used. 
these were a basically a brace for the neck it prevent it covered the neck entirely but the problem with it was that it limited movement most uh the entire body specific points of the specific joints were heavily protected but in return it would cause you to be less maneuverable and once everything came together it weighed around 45 to 55 pounds or for the people who don't like english system 20 to 25 kilograms less than what most soldiers of our modern day would actually carry in equipment um the greatest threat other than um blunt force or just any types of things like that was actually heat and exhaustion in hot weather the ventilation became useless it was absolutely poor the armor the armor was not able to stop many arrows after the arrows became more strong lots of arrows back then were very weak and then after a while they became strong the helmets were necessary to protect the face and the head in general and most of the helmets had interior bands in them to basically strengthen them most of it was a single sheet of metal but then lots of them would add on on the inside to increase the durability of it now we're going to do a couple of the common misconceptions of medieval armor and i would like to quickly thank all the sources that i used for this such as the met museum they have lots of different types of history pieces on armor and on different medieval uh, uses that I heavily used for both the building of the armor, the different how, like the explanation of what the armor did, and just for the misconceptions. I used the royalarmories.org for finding the armor in question of King Henry VIII, and I would also like to thank um, worldhistory.org for some, the explanation of medieval tournaments as well, which I will be discussing in a bit. Now, the very first common misconception was that most of these armors were worn only by knights, and that is sadly wrong. Um, the image that itself harbors a host of further misconceptions, but knights were fought, rarely fought alone. And these armies, they consisted of mounted knights, although knights were the dominant force of most of these armies. They were invariable and with time increasingly supported by several for, uh, foot soldiers, archers, pikemen. All those small infantry accompanied these knights. So these people also were adorned in armor, but most likely not as much. Our next one. Women were early in the earlier times never fought in battle or wore armor, and that is surprisingly obviously wrong. There is several different accounts of different women wearing armor. Specifically, we're going to mention Jeanne de Pethiver uh, from 1319 1384. Um, scattered references all over the place showed that women from lower levels of society taking arms many different women participated in battles. It's just 
during all like different types of media and stuff is caused those misconceptions of them not partaking. But there was lots of women that actually did lead armies. Um, there was commissioned armors from French King Charles. He had armors made for female warriors. And that just shows the fact that there were women that were in there. The next one was that armor was expensive, and that is wrong. There was an abundance of different iron and steel throughout the world that just allows soldiers to have it. What we're thinking that is expensive would be the more expedition-style armors, those ones like King, uh, King Henry VIII, what he wore for the field of cloth and gold, those ones which were adorned in different types of like fabrics and gold in layers and everything like that were what made it expensive. But most of the common armor were very plain and just did what it needed to do. Another one before we finish up these misconceptions is that it was extremely he heavy and renders it the wearer immobile. That is wrong. As we've said before, the armor was 45 to 55 or 25, 20 to 25 kilograms. And that just is not that heavy for lots of those people. Most of the people that wore these heavy ones, heavy armors, were kind of built that allowed them to move around. And the armor was maneuverable to a certain degree that allowed them to do things. The only problems, of course, was that it wasn't too strong that it prevented everything from hitting from the from anything like that. But you need to also remember all the vital organs in the body were protected and they were basically allowed them to shrug off different things much more easily than others. We're going to discuss tournaments for a quick second just to explain what some of these more adorned armors were usually for, and that were tournaments. These uh, competitions were things that knights would participate in to practice military skills, engage in practice battles, and to just kind of, it was kind of like a social thing. And these armors, whenever somebody would lose, usually went to the winner, which is how a lot of these armors went all over the place was because of the rules of these things. The two big battles that would part that would happen in these tournaments were the tournament itself, which is a battle between two groups of mountain mounted knights, which usually knights were on mounted horses, and these were they would carry their normal weapons such as swords, halberds, all those different types of weapons were in this. The other one was the more common one that we usually see in things like the Renaissance Festival, which is the joust. It's a one-on-one -on -one duel where two mounted knights use lances and they have to knock one of the others off. These things were very important to the times as it was a social thing and allowed practice for these knights other than on the field they practiced day by day um in hand-to-hand -hand combat and all these different things but these tournaments were kind of like a 
trial or say where people could do things like that. And to finish this off, we're going to talk about the legendary man, well, actually the infamous man who wore the special ordain armor of the cloth and gold field. And that is King Henry VIII. This man is crazy. And I mean it. He joined the Holy League against France in 1511. And in 1513, he led the English forces through a victorious battle in the northern France. He arranged marriages with, uh, with many different women and killed a lot of those wives he divorced and killed many of his wives um when the armor was worn he went to the field of cloth and gold in 1520 this was a political summit but because henry is kind of a stubborn asshole he didn't make any political decisions and this resulted in riots um, in 1525 riots broke out in england in protest against anything that he did henry was trying to levy taxes for military purposes and he withdrew from the major military activity in europe because of this making him grounded in his area we will get back onto the wives thing in a moment and i'm just going to explain what happened to him after what happened to the fall and how did like just what happened. He did not wish to introduce the Protestant doctrine and he refused to accept the Church of England's teachings as well. Now you need to remember this. The medieval times and the dark ages were heavily based off of faith and religion. To do this was kind of bad. Um, any of the teachings and those who rejected Henry's authority to have the Church of England's teachings were executed. This made him a very infamous man. He was known for his executions because for anything that he felt was bad. He intensified the authoritarian elements um, and he reigned. He was a dictator, in my opinion. He was very powerful, but he passed away and his uh, lineage led to the reign of Elizabeth I. And if you remember this, Elizabeth I is the first of many Elizabeths who are the queens. King Henry, out of everything he did, he brought the queens Elizabeth I, second, third on to now. He is the famous one, I would say, to bring these people. But we are now going to discuss King Henry's wives and why um, these are very important. Because the reason he killed his wives and he kept on divorcing was because he wanted a son. He could not make a son, which was what happened. He had many wives and we're going to start off with Catherine of Oregon uh, Oregon Oregon sorry and Boleyn and Boleyn is the one who produced Queen Elizabeth Jane Seymour 
Anne of Cleves, Catherine Howard, and Catherine Parr. These wives were all different wives that he had, and these were in order. So, in conclusion, I'm going to sadly have to cut it off a bit short. I'm running at 20 minutes now. I'm just going to say this. The armor is a very important piece to history because, one, it showed it was at the cusp of when he became a very bad dictatorship-like authoritarian who executed people he did not like. And if he could not, and it just showed his infamous side. A lot of the stuff he made to, he put up a facade a lot. The armor was, this is going to go back real quick. The armor was made to make him not look fat. And if you didn't know, King Henry is fat, very fat. And so a lot, the armor that was made here was made to basically make it look like as if he wasn't. That's why it was very slit based. It was very odd looking because he made it to look as if he wasn't. It was made to basically fill out to make it as if he was wider, but not fat. But that does not stop the fact that everybody knew that he was a fat, authoritarian, wife-killing, beheading, divorcing, terrible person. But we need to remember these dark times. There was many different kings of these times that did these things. There's many queens. Just medieval times is called the dark times for a reason. And King Henry VIII is a big example of that. So and for conclusions in general, the armor is very significant for one reason. It is a living example of the facades that the kings put up to look as if they are these high and mighty important people and yes they were important but for the wrong reasons and they and king henry the eighth is a one of those infamous people who would put up facades and he would do these things to make himself look as if he is not a fat white wife killing wife divorcing authoritarian dictator so i would like to thank everybody thank you professor um, for letting me do this. Um, I'm sorry for it being this long, but I hope you have a wonderful day and enjoy the other items on this list. There's a lots there's lots of great ones here.